the second coming of Christ. This is actually a topic that has sparked a great deal of debate amongst believers and unbelievers alike. Proof of my point can be found in a Pew Research survey from 2006, which helps us to see that 79% of Christians in the U.S., they say that they believe that Jesus Christ will return to the earth at some point in time in the future. At the same time, 21% of those polled confess that they don't really believe in the second coming of Christ at all. That's right. According to this survey, 21% of those who claim to be Christians don't believe in the second coming of Christ. The same survey reveals that 20% of Christians in the U.S. say that they believe that Jesus Christ will return in our lifetime, while 39% of those polled were quick to insist that the Lord Jesus will return at some point, but after their life is over. From this, we can see that there is a great deal of disagreement and even debate within the church about the second coming of Christ. And what's even more interesting than that, there is a state of theology study from 2020, which actually helps us to see that 62% of all Americans, not just those claiming to be Christians, but 62% of all Americans say they believe that Jesus Christ will return at some point in time in order to judge all the people who have ever lived. That's right. There are unconverted unbelievers here in America who actually believe that, you know, there's coming a day when Jesus Christ will return and judge all the people who have ever lived. Now, this still leaves 38% of Americans who reject the idea uh, that our Redeemer will eventually return. But either way, listen, uh, the one thing that we can say for certain is that 100% of Christians in the world today have been called to warn the world about the day of his second coming. 100% of Christians, according to the scriptures, have been called to go out and warn the world about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Well, thankfully, here in our text today, we find Luke, he's recounting a conversation that Christ Jesus had with his disciples as he set out to help them to properly scrutinize the details surrounding his second coming. And as we study the scriptures before us this morning, we'll begin to see, first of all, that the second coming of Christ is unpredictable. Secondly, we'll learn that the second coming of Christ is unmistakable. Thirdly, and finally, we'll see that the second coming of Christ is unavoidable. Well, with this as our outline, let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 17. Here we find the Lord Jesus. He's helping his disciples to scrutinize the details surrounding his second coming. And as you make your way to the 17th chapter of Luke's gospel account, I just want to take a moment to put our text back into its context. I'll remind you, it was in our last study last week when we learned about the day when this group of Pharisees, they came and presented Jesus with a question about the day when the kingdom of God would finally be established here on the earth. And rather than answering their loaded question, Jesus assured those Pharisees that their hostile interrogations and their doubtful uh, examinations wouldn't provide them with the answers that they were actually looking for. And after challenging them about the reason for their questions, you know, it's, it's here in our text today. Here we find the Lord providing his disciples now with details about the time of his second coming. And with this context in mind, let's pick up our study of Luke chapter 17. I want to direct your attention there to verse 22. Here Luke writes, Then he said to the disciples, The days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look here, or look there. Do not go after them or follow them. For as the lightning that flashes out of one part under heaven shines to the other part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Now here in our text today, we find the Lord Jesus. He's helping his disciples now to understand that there was in fact coming a day when he would no longer be present with with them here on the earth in a physical sense. 
And while it's easy for us to realize that the Lord Jesus was actually referring to his resurrection and his ascension into heaven, it's important for us to remember that the apostles didn't yet realize that Christ Jesus was supposed to first die on the cross and, and then rise from the grave. They, they didn't fully grasp this at this point in time. Therefore, we can also be certain that they couldn't even begin to imagine a day when they would no longer see the Son of Man standing there in their presence. In order to prove my point, I'd like you to just flip forward one chapter to Luke chapter 18. I want to focus your attention here at Luke 18, beginning at verse 31. Here Luke tells us that Jesus took the 12 aside and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished, for he will be delivered to the Gentiles, and will be mocked and insulted and spit upon. They will scourge him and kill him, and the third day he will rise again. But they understood. How many of these things? None of these things. They understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not know the things which were spoken of. At this point in time in the Lord's earthly ministry, the the, the apostles had no clue that Jesus was about to be crucified, that he would be buried, and that he would rise up on the third day, only to then 40 days later ascend into heaven. According to Luke, they didn't really grasp these things that Jesus was saying. With that being the case, we can be certain that they absolutely had no clue what Christ meant then when he informed them that the time would come when they would long to see the day of the Son of Man's return. They're they're, they're clueless about this. They, They have no idea what Jesus means by these things at this point in time. Thankfully, we now enjoy what's called hindsight, which is 2020 for us. And, and we can look at all the scriptures to see that the Lord Jesus, well, he's actually referring to his resurrection and his ascension into heaven, which would then later be followed by his second coming to the earth. And with this understanding, you know, the scholars who created the New Living Translation, they render verse 22 here in our text today, They render this verse in this way. He said to his disciples, the time is coming when you will long to see the day when the son of man returns, but you won't see it. There's coming a day, I'm gonna be gone and you're gonna wish that you could see my return, but you won't see it while you're here. In other words, the Lord Jesus was informing his disciples that they would witness his ascension into heaven, that they would experience a time when he was gone. And yet by the time of his return, Well, that would be long after they were gone. With that being the case, we should notice the warning that Jesus presents there in verse 23. There in verse 23, he goes on to declare, and they will say to you, look here or look there. Do not go after them or follow them. The Lord Jesus here is helping his disciples to understand that there's coming a day he's going to be gone. They're going to long for his return And at that point in time, there's going to be false teachers who come along and say, I know where Jesus is. Come with me. I'll show you. And Jesus says, no, don't follow them. Don't listen to them. Don't go after them. Yeah, there's going to be people, there's going to be these false teachers, there's going to be these false prophets who come along claiming to have special knowledge about the second coming of our Savior. And knowing that there would be this long list of liars, the Lord simply instructs his disciples to avoid them. And listen, the same advice applies to every Christian here today. The reason why? Well, it's due to the fact that there are still false teachers in the world today who are attempting to tell us that they know, you know, the special information about Jesus Christ. They know the special way for, you know, people to connect with Christ Jesus. They've got the Bible codes or, or they've got the special knowledge. One example of this can be seen in the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church. You know, the leaders of the Roman Catholic Church assure us that those who truly want to connect with Christ Jesus today, you must go to their Eucharist services because Jesus can only be found today in their communion wafer. That's what they teach. And that if you don't believe Jesus is in their communion wafer, you're anathema. And yet Jesus has already declared, don't go after them. Do not follow them when they say, look, here's the Christ. 
Here's the Christ in, in our monstrance. Here's the Christ in our communion wafer. Don't go after them. Another example is found in the life of Charles Taze Russell, who you might like to know founded the Watchtower Society, which later became known as the Jehovah's Witnesses. You know the guys that come knocking on the door. Russell once made the claim that Jesus would return and establish his millennial kingdom in 1914. Just a little, just a little off. It was actually 1889 when Russell declared, and I quote, we consider it an established truth that the final end of the kingdoms of this world and the full establishment of the kingdom of God will be accomplished by the end of A.D. 1914. He, he then went on to change his prediction to 1918 and then once again to 1920. I guess continuing revelation confused him or something. I don't know. But listen, the founder of the JWs has only proved that it's impossible to properly predict the second coming of Jesus Christ because all three of these prophecies were wrong. Walter Martin once said that the Jehovah's Witnesses have predicted the end of the world so many times now that they ought to be renamed Armageddon Incorporated. Do not follow after them. Do not go after them, Jesus says. According to the Lord Jesus, his second coming is completely unpredictable. And in order to prove my point, let's consider something that Jesus said to his disciples as they asked him about the sign of his second coming and the end of the age. And so with this as the focus, hold your place here in the gospel of Luke and let's turn in our Bibles to Mark chapter 13. And as you make your way to the 13th chapter of Mark's gospel account, I just want to take a moment to point out that there's actually a long list of people who have incorrectly predicted the time of Christ's second coming. For example, J.F. Rutherford, who became the second president of the Jehovah's Witnesses, he actually predicted 1925 to be the time of the restoration of all things. 1925. Herbert W. Armstrong, the founder of the Worldwide Church of God, predicted that Christ would return in 1936. Edgar Weissenant claimed that there were 88 reasons to believe that Jesus would come back in 1988, and specifically during Rosh Hashanah. Uh, Ronald Weinland, he predicted Jesus would return September 29th, 2011. When this prediction failed, he moved the date to May 27th, 2012. I guess he forgot to carry the one. And then when that prediction failed, he changed the, the, the date once again to Pentecost of 2019. And well, here we are, 2022, still waiting. And, and listen, don't even get me started on Harold Camping. Listen, all of these people failed because they didn't really believe what Jesus said to his disciples here in Mark chapter 13. With this in mind, if you would look with me here at Mark 13, I want to begin reading at verse 31. Here Christ Jesus declares, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. But of that day, speaking of the day of the Lord, of that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Take heed, watch and pray, for you do not know when the time is. It is like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming. In the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. Watch and wait, but don't start trying to get into these predictions. It's impossible for us to know the day and the hour. The angels don't even know. And Christ in his humanity didn't receive this information from the Father either. It's impossible for a person to properly predict the day and the hour when the Lord Jesus will return and establish his millennial kingdom. And therefore, we would do well to reject those who are trying to convince us that they've figured it out. Oh, you can go find these teachers on YouTube. 
YouTube is filled with these guys who get their graphs and their charts out and they start, you know, calculating the numbers and they can tell you exactly when the second coming is going to happen. And then on top of that, the rapture of the church. And Jesus says, do not follow them. Do not go after them. You start listening to those studies, next thing you know, they're trying to convince you that the earth is flat. Next thing you know, you're embracing some insane heresy altogether. The Lord Jesus directed his disciples, warning them by declaring here in Luke 17, verse 23, they will say to you, look here or look there. We've got it figured out. We've got the secret knowledge. We've got the codes all, all, you know, I've I've carried the one. I did the math right. Believe me, send me money. Jesus says, do not go after them or follow them. Avoid these so-called prophets who try to convince us that they've figured it all out. Jesus says, no one knows the day or the hour. Now, I'm not that great at math, but I'm pretty sure no one means zero. Only the Father knows the day and the hour. And so knowing that there would be many false prophets who would come along and lead people astray, the Lord Jesus sought to protect the church from the deceptive doctrines of these heretics. And he did this by declaring, do not go after them. Do not follow them. Do not listen to them. Because listen, the second coming of Christ is unpredictable. You cannot predict it. My guess is that even if you sit there and predict a day and an hour, Jesus will say, oh, no, it's not that day and hour now. Someone predicted it, so we got to move it. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not but it's unpredictable. Don't even try and don't listen to the people who do. Secondly, the second coming of Christ, it's going to be unmistakable. And with this as the focus, I want to continue to consider the encouragement that Christ Jesus is presenting here in Luke chapter 17. If you would, let's look back and begin reading at Luke 17, verse 24. Here, the Lord Jesus declares, as the lightning that flashes out of one part of heaven shines to the other part uh, under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in his day. And here in this verse, we find Christ Jesus comparing his second coming to the lightning that lights up an entire sky. Now, if you've ever wondered how bright a flash of lightning is, well, it might interest you to know that it's been estimated by some that a lightning flash can actually generate at least 98,000 lumens per square meter. That's bright. It's for this reason that it's able to light up the entire sky. And in order to put this into a perspective that we might be able to grasp, you know, a 60-watt light bulb gives off about 800 lumens. And so the lumens produced, you know, uh, by a lightning bolt, it's about equivalent to the lumens produced by 122 60-watt light bulbs. It's for this reason that, you know, a lightning bolt is easily seen during a a dark and stormy night. In similar fashion, you know, the second coming of Christ is going to be a very visible event. That's the whole point. Much like lightning, you know, that, that is unmistakable when it lights up a sky, so too is his second coming. The whole world will know when it happens. In order to prove my point, I want to take some time to consider a few of the biblical prophecies which help us to better understand the visible nature of our Savior's second coming. So if you would, hold your place here in the Gospel of Luke. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. See, it's here in the first chapter of Acts where we find an angel actually describing the visible nature of Christ's second coming. Now, as you make your way to Acts chapter 1, I just want to take some time to address those who insist that the Lord Jesus has already returned in some sort of invisible way or some indistinguishable way. For example, you know, after failing to correctly predict the second coming of Christ on several occasions, the leaders of the Jehovah's Witnesses insisted that Jesus has, in fact, fulfilled the 1914 prophecy, and, and yet they insist that, you know, it's his invisible presence which is now ruling and reigning over the earth. They want you to believe that the 1914 prophecy came to pass, but it's just that Jesus came back invisibly. How do we know? Well, because we can't see him. 
Oh. Well, that settles it. It was actually a September 1990 edition of the Watchtower magazine. You can go check your own stack of Watchtowers that you probably have at your house. But uh, in 1919 edition of, uh, of uh, September 1990 edition of Watchtower magazine, there were told this, and I quote, Jesus had been present since 1914, invisible to man. Yeah, that's what the Jehovah's Witnesses say. Jesus has been here since 1914 in an invisible way. Well, much like the Jehovah's Witnesses who believe that, you know, the invisible presence of Jesus is now ruling and reigning over the earth since 1914. You know, there, there's actually people in the church today who embrace kind of a similar point of view. Not that Jesus came back in 1914. They, no, they, they take it back further to 70 AD. They, you know, there are people in the church today who think that the kingdom of God was established in 70 AD. These are the people who subscribe uh, to a theology known as hyperpreterism. Uh, and, and these teachers of hyperpreterism uh, would lead us to believe that, that all the prophecies that point to Christ's second coming were fulfilled in 70 AD. Therefore, they believe that Jesus has already returned. He's already established his millennial kingdom and, and, and in a spiritual or invisible sort of way. And I just have to confess that I'm a little disappointed. I didn't realize that the millennial kingdom would, co- would come with COVID-19. So, uh, you know, not the uh, glorious millennial reign that the Bible describes now, is it? But that's what they believe. They believe that Jesus is currently ruling and reigning over his church invisibly. And he's been doing it since 70 AD. Then there are those who insist that the Lord Jesus has returned to the earth, but through the rebirth of reincarnation. Rather than returning in the body that he left with, they think, oh, no, no, he's come back as a baby and then had to grow up and become an adult once again. For example, just consider Alan John Miller, a former IT specialist who went on to claim that he is the reincarnation of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know what he does about David Shaler's claim because David Shaler, the former British agent who once worked for MI5, uh, after destroying his own career, he began to believe that he is the Messiah, the modern-day reincarnation of Jesus Christ. And not to be outdone, you know, Sergei Anatolievich Torup allegedly received a revelation from God that led him to believe that he is the reincarnation of Jesus Christ. And, and how are all these three guys at the same time, the reincarnation of Jesus Christ? I can assure you that none of these men are the reincarnation of Jesus Christ. And the reason why is because Jesus Christ ain't coming back as a baby. His first advent, yes, he was born of the Virgin Mary. His second coming, he's coming back in a similar way to how he left. To prove my point, let's consider Luke's account found here in Acts chapter 1. If you would look with me there, beginning at verse 9. Here Luke writes, now, when he had spoken these things, talking about Jesus Christ. When he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up. And a cloud received him out of their, what? Their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel who said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Here we find Luke describing the day of our Savior's physical ascension into heaven. They watched him physically ascending into heaven, disappearing into the clouds. And that's when these two angels showed up and they assured the apostles that this same Jesus would eventually return in the same manner as he was taken up. In other words, he physically and visibly arose into heaven and he will physically and visibly return. The Lord Jesus isn't returning invisibly or spiritually 
or through the rebirth of reincarnation. No one said Jesus will return in the same physical body that he had at the time of his ascension into heaven. The Lord actually confirmed this in Zechariah chapter 12. Here he describes his own second coming by declaring this, it shall be in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem and I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. According to the Lord, there's coming a day when the inhabitants of Jerusalem will look up and they will see the Lord Jesus Christ returning to the earth and it's gonna be as visible as lightning flashing from the east to the west. And it's at that point in time when they will realize this is the one we pierced. This is the one our forefathers crucified. And they will weep. They will weep as they realize that their forefathers crucified the Messiah. And they will weep with joy also as they see their Savior saving them from the armies of the Antichrist. With all that being the case, listen, the second coming of Christ is not going to be invisible. It's not going to be some spiritual event in the sense that, you know, without a physical form. It's not going to be through the rebirth of reincarnation that Jesus has to come back as a baby and then grow up. Nope. The same Jesus who ascended and disappeared into the clouds is the Jesus who will return as he wipes out the armies of the Antichrist. Further proof of my point can be found in Mark chapter 13. Here we find the Lord Jesus saying this. He says, in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars of heaven will fall and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the son of man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send his angels and gather together his elect from the four winds from the farthest part of the earth to the farthest part of heaven. Now, as we consider what Jesus is saying, we must not fail to notice all of the visible aspects of Christ's second coming. The sun will be darkened. The moon will no longer reflect the light of the sun. My guess is that there's so much smoke in the atmosphere from all of the wars and even the burning of the forests. And why are the forests on fire? Well, partly because you've got stars, stars falling from the skies. You have meteorites uh, falling to the earth that are, that are on fire. There's going to be these cosmic anomalies which help us to see that, yeah, the stars aren't just, you know, isn't just an animation on some dome over a flat earth. No. There are stars out there. And they're going to fall. Cosmic anomalies are going to take place. Burning meteorites are going to fall to the earth. All of this is very visible and very unmistakable. And it's at this point in time when the Son of Man will come from the clouds with great power and glory. Without debate, those who try to convince us that the second coming of Christ has already occurred, when did all those things happen? Those people are either purposefully lying to us or they themselves have been deceived because they went and watched some guy on YouTube break out the chart and explain it all. And now they're deceiving people with the same deception that they've embraced. Do not be blown to and fro by every wind of doctrine because there are false teachers in the world today who want to lead us astray. With that being the case, we would do well to heed the warning that the Lord Jesus presented during the Olivet Discourse. And so if you would continue holding your place there in the Gospel of Luke, let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. You see, it's here in the 24th chapter of Matthew's gospel account. Here we find the Lord Jesus. He's warning the disciples about these false teachers who are going to rise up and they're going to encourage us to follow after their false Christs. That's right. There are false teachers who present a false Christ 
They will come along and they will say, here's Jesus, there's Jesus, follow him with, with me. And Jesus says, be careful, don't go after them. Let's consider how the Lord puts it here in Matthew chapter 24. I want to focus your attention there at verse 23. Here the Lord declares, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ or there, do not believe it for false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. The Lord Jesus here is warning his followers, which include us, Christian. He's warning us about these days when these false teachers will rise up and false Christs will rise up and and show signs and wonders that could possibly deceive the elect. And with that being the case, we would all do well to scrutinize the teachings of those who try to convince us that the Lord Jesus has already returned invisibly or spiritually or through some rebirth of reincarnation. If someone comes along and says, I'm Jesus Christ and even performs miracles. Well, listen, if they didn't come from the sky along with a darkened sun and a darkened moon and meteorite showers, you know, falling, if all that didn't happen, that ain't Jesus. They're a deceiver. And rather than falling for their deceptive doctrines, let's remember that the second coming of Jesus Christ will be an unmistakable event. Sort of like when lightning flashes in the sky on a dark and stormy night. The second coming of Christ, it's unpredictable. We can't predict the day when it's going to take place, but it's going to be unmistakable when it happens. Everyone will know when it goes down. Thirdly and finally, we learn that the second coming of Christ is an unavoidable event. And with this as the focus, let's make our way back to Luke chapter 17. Here we find the Lord Jesus assuring his audience about the imminency of his second coming. And with this as our focus, let's look again here at Luke 17. I want to back up and begin reading once again at verse 24. Here again, the Lord declares, for as the lightning that flashes out of one part under heaven shines to the other part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Now here in these verses, we find the Lord Jesus assuring his apostles that there is coming a time when the son of man will have his day. Well, who is this son of man and what is this day that he's talking about? Well, just to be clear, it'll help you to know that the Lord Jesus actually referred to himself as the son of man on several occasions. For example, in Matthew chapter nine, Jesus referred to himself as the son of man just before healing a paralytic man. In Mark chapter 14, Jesus referred to himself as the son of man when he informed his disciples that Judas was on his way to betray him. In Luke chapter six, Jesus referred to himself as the son of man as he assured his audience that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. And in John chapter 12, Jesus referred to himself as the son of man as he spoke about his own crucifixion. To sum it all up, listen, the Lord Jesus referred to himself as the son of man at least 80 times. At least that's what we see in the Bible. He he could have said it many more times, but as far as, you know, just a a tally of of the New Testament, uh, specifically the gospels, you know, we see at least 80 times Jesus referring to himself as the son of man. And in order to grasp the significance of this title, Well, it'll help you to know that this term is actually a messianic title, which was initially presented by the prophet Daniel. As a matter of fact, it's in Daniel chapter seven, where we find the prophet Daniel. He's describing this day when, and I quote, one like the son of man will come with the clouds of heaven. One like the son of man. This is where we find, uh, you know, the initial use of this messianic title, son of man. And Daniel, of course, is describing the day of the Lord when our Messiah, the Son of Man, will return and establish his millennial kingdom. This is the day that Jesus is referring to here in Luke chapter 17. Uh, Look with me again there at verse 24. Here again, Jesus declares, as the lightning that flashes out of one part of under heaven shines to the other part under heaven, so also the Son of Man, Jesus, will be in his day, his day. The Lord Lord Jesus here isn't wondering or guessing or hoping 
that his day will eventually come. No, instead he's assuring his apostles that the day of the Lord was completely unavoidable because the son of man will have his day. Just to be clear, it'll help you to know that the day of the Lord, well, this is the day when the Lord Jesus returns and begins to establish his millennial kingdom here on the earth. And in order to better grasp this incredible day, I want to consider the description that John presents in the book of Revelation. Now, with this as the focus, hold your place here in the Gospel of Luke, and let's turn in our Bibles to Revelation chapter 19. And as you make your way to the 19th chapter of Revelation, well, I just want to take a moment to point out that we actually find the day of the Lord described all throughout the Scriptures. You can find you know, descriptions of the day of the Lord all throughout the Scriptures. And as we consider everything that the Bible says about this incredible day, you know, we begin to realize that the day of the Lord is actually the great day of God Almighty. That's what it's called uh, in, in, in several passages. And, and this is the day when the judgment of Jesus will begin to be poured out on those who rejected his gracious gift of forgiveness. With all this in mind, let's consider the way that John describes the day of Jesus Christ here in Revelation chapter 19. If you would look with me there, beginning at verse 11, here John writes, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Here in these verses, we find the Apostle John describing the day of the Lord, which is this day when the Lord Jesus returns, all tatted up, and he destroys the armies of the Antichrist with the word of God. The sword that, that, that's coming from his mouth is the word of God. And he strikes these, these armies that are being led by the Antichrist. He strikes them with the very words of his mouth and they perish. The day of the Lord is also this day when the Lord Jesus then will establish his millennial kingdom. He will set up the throne of his father, David. And he will rule and reign as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He will rule over the earth with a rod of iron. As we consider all of this, you might be wondering, well, can we be certain about this? Can we be certain about the fulfillment of this prophecy? And I believe that the answer is yes, absolutely certain. In order to prove my point, let's make our way back to Luke chapter 17. I want to consider the point that Jesus makes here in Luke 17. Let's back up and begin read, reading once again at verse 24. Here again, Jesus declares, For as the lightning that flashes out of one part under heaven shines to the other part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in his day. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Now here in these verses, we find the Lord Jesus. He's providing his disciples with a way for confirming the second coming. He did this by presenting them with a prophecy about the day of his suffering. He says, before I can come back, but before I return, I must first suffer many things. He goes on to describe this suffering in Luke chapter 18 by informing his disciples that the Gentiles are going to scourge him and kill him and then on the third day, he would rise again. Now, with that being the case, listen, if the prophecy about his suffering turned out to be true, if it's true that the Gentiles scourged him and killed him, and then on the third day, he rose again, if that's true, well, then it only stands to reason that the second coming is also true. 
If the prophecy about his suffering turns out to be true, it only stands to reason that the prophecy about his second coming must also be true. And with this in mind, I just want to remind you about something that Luke wrote in Acts chapter 1. It's in the beginning of this book of Acts where Luke declares, the former account I made, O Theophilus, that's the gospel of Luke that he's referring to. He's saying, hey, the former account I made, the book of Luke, where I told you about all that Jesus began to both do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after when? After his suffering by many infallible proofs being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. In other words, Luke here is not only confirming the death of Jesus Christ, he's not only confirming the burial of Jesus Christ, but he's also confirming the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the ascension of Jesus Christ. And he tells us here that he presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs. And this took place during 40 days between his resurrection and ascension that he presented them with just infallible evidence of his physical resurrection from the grave. And during that time, he taught them things pertaining to what? The kingdom of God. He taught them about the second coming during those 40 days between his resurrection from the grave and his ascension into heaven. What this means then is that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus now provides us with the proof that leads us to believe that the second coming of Christ is unavoidable. The second coming of Jesus Christ is unavoidable. How do we know this? Well, because the eyewitnesses there in the first century said the first thing happened. He suffered. He was crucified. He was buried. He rose from the grave. He ascended into heaven. Those things happened. So you better believe that the second coming is happening as well. And you might be wondering, why is it taking so long? And I say, amen. Why? I mean, it's almost been 2,000 years since the Lord Jesus ascended into heaven. And without debate, there are many believers who have pondered this and wonder, why is it taking so long? And some have even lost hope. It's why these hyper-preterists come along and try to convince us, well, we don't really need to look for a second coming because all that was fulfilled back in 70 AD. It was not. So why is it taking so long? Well, with this question in mind, we would do well to remember the encouragement that the apostle Peter presented in his second epistle. With this as the focus, if you would, let's turn in our Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 3. You see, it's here in the third chapter of 2 Peter where we find the Apostle Peter. He's helping his audience to understand that the second coming of Christ Jesus, it's an unavoidable event which will eventually occur, though may or may not happen in our lifetime. We don't know. Let's consider how Peter puts it here in 2 Peter chapter 3. If you would look with me there, beginning at verse 9 here, Peter declares, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Here in these verses, we find the apostle Peter. He's addressing the scoffers. That's really what this this chapter is about. He's addressing the scoffers who come along in the last days and say, it hadn't come yet, probably not going to come at all. 
He's addressing those scoffers here who begin to question the second coming of Jesus Christ. And with that, it's important to understand that there are those who insist that Jesus has already returned invisibly or in some sort of spiritual way or through the rebirth of reincarnation. There are those false teachers, but then there are also the false teachers who come along and say, yeah, it's it's never going to happen. They scoff at the idea of Christ's second coming. They'll try to convince us that it's been so long that there's no longer a reason to think that will ever happen. And if this is something that that someone is trying to convince you to believe, then I encourage you to realize that the Lord's delay is not the Lord's broken promise. Just because Jesus hasn't yet returned doesn't mean he won't. That's foolish thinking. The Lord has promised to return. Is the Lord in the business of breaking promises? Absolutely not. The Lord has promised to establish his throne here on the earth. The Lord has promised to rule and reign over the earth for a thousand years, physically seated on the throne of David there in the new Jerusalem. Is that happening yet? No. Therefore, it's still yet future tense. And I realize, yeah, it's been nearly 2,000 years since our Savior's ascension into heaven. And we can think in our own minds, 2,000 years, that's a mighty long time. But I would remind you that a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day to the Lord. So, so if you think about this from a heavenly perspective, then we can rejoice in knowing that it's just been two days since he left. What's two days to God? Don't be discouraged. Don't begin to question the promise of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to fulfill it in his timing. Until then, I remind you of what Peter says there in 2 Peter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slack. He's not a slacker. He didn't fall asleep on us. No one said, Peter tells us that he's long-suffering toward us. He's being patient with us. Why? Well, because he's not willing that any should perish, but he he wants everyone to come to repentance. If you're wondering why it's taking so long for the second coming of Christ, well, listen, we can rejoice in knowing that the Lord is giving every person the best opportunity to repent and trust in him. You know, being born in 1969, I didn't become a Christian until the middle of 1995. I sure am glad that the second coming of Christ didn't happen in 1994. Because had it, I'd be in torment right now, being punished for all of my sins because I didn't receive Jesus Christ and his forgiveness until 1995. I'm glad that the Lord is long-suffering toward us. I rejoice in knowing that he's being patient even maybe restraining the day of his return because he wants to give every person an opportunity to repent and trust in him. And while it's true that the second coming of Christ is entirely unavoidable, it's going to happen, it's also true that the Lord is right now providing us, Christian, with the opportunity to reach our unbelieving loved ones so that they might be saved before the second coming of Christ. This is our opportunity, Christian, to accomplish the great commission by preaching the gospel message to those who don't yet believe so that they might be caught away maybe in the rapture if the Lord will rapture the church within our lifetime, which I certainly think that is probable. Don't you want all of your unbelieving friends and family members to be raptured with us if we you know, are blessed to be alive at the time of the rapture? I'm guessing that the answer is yes. We, we definitely want our unbelieving friends and our family members to be caught up in the rapture with us. And with that as our desire, then we ought to act upon the Great Commission by presenting the gospel of grace 
so that they might be saved by faith in Jesus Christ. Sadly, there will be those who are still here after the rapture of the church. And they will live through the time of tribulation. And and they're not going to know the day or the hour of Christ's second coming. And the reason why is because the second coming of Christ is an unpredictable event because no one knows the day or the hour except our Father in heaven. At the same time, they'll discover that the second coming of Christ is also an unmistakable event which will be witnessed by everyone who is still here on the earth at the time of Jesus' return. And the second coming of Christ is an unavoidable event which will most certainly occur according to the promise of God. And as we look forward to the second coming of Christ, I just encourage you, let's take advantage of this time of the Lord's long-suffering love. Let's take advantage of this time by looking for every opportunity to warn the world about the day of judgment when Christ Jesus will return and establish his throne and begin to judge the world in righteousness. Let's warn every unbeliever about this day so that they might receive the good news. And let's present them with the gospel of grace so that they might trust in Jesus Christ and be saved from the wrath that's still to come. At the same time, those of us who now trust in Jesus Christ, well, we can spend every day rejoicing. We can rejoice in knowing that it's only a matter of time until Jesus establishes his kingdom right here on the earth. No more politicians driving up inflation. No more corrupt political leaders robbing us of our rights and freedoms. Nope. Jesus Christ will be here. Our King of Kings, our Lord of Lords, and he will rule in true righteousness for a thousand years. And in this, Christian, we can rejoice as we patiently wait for the second coming of Christ. Let's pray.